0: My dog, my doggy pipping there. Yeah, I heard him. Uh, oh, right. a fool of a tuck! Throw yourself <laughs> in next time and rid us of your stupidity. <laughs> Shut him up. Okay. Welcome, my lords, to the Well-Earned Comforts podcast. I'm Sam, and I'm Seth. Thank you for joining us on The Walls of Isengard as we explore the many works of Tolkien and, of course, discuss life. We're glad to have you as part of our fellowship as there's no telling where we'll be swept off to. And it has been quite a long time since we have been swept off to anything since we have been uh, very busy before we could podcast and get our last episode here, our last chapter of Children of Porn. So before we do that, we're going to jump into some babbling like Butterbur, like always, check in with my brother Seth over there in michigan what's going on how you doing
1: what's up you know it's been a long time um (laughs) it really has yeah that's my fault but we'll get it's it's all good yeah we'll get into that you've been busy doing the lord's work literally uh at least from our end not a whole lot you know just one day at a time with evelyn uh we're actually gonna start some physical therapy for her because she's not showing the desire to crawl or Mm. walk yet. And she actually just had her first birthday. Uh, what, like actually a week ago today. Jeez. Yeah. Um, from the point of recording, not releasing this, but sure. Yeah, Yeah. She just isn't wanting to walk yet. And she's like the doctors or PA that we were seeing said, she's basically about like 18 month old in regards to her fine motor skills and her attention span. And, those things and then when it comes to mobility and her gross motor skills she's basically like an eight month old so we're gonna start some physical therapy for her here shortly just to get her up and moving a little bit better just to kind of connect those those neurons a little bit um but yeah other than that it's it's been awesome to watch her grow up we (laughs) she is in the what did they say the 50th percentile for head circumference which cool (laughs) she is in the 24th percentile for weight but she is in the seventh percentile for height so she (laughs) she's a little top heavy at this point i mean her brain (laughs) is just (laughs) taking over everything Um, wow but yeah it's it's a lot of fun uh and then honestly other than that uh i decided to try to make some youtube videos as well yeah um i'm using our our same same well-earned comforts branding here and hopefully at some point sam will want to jump in and throw in a video here and there uh you can just go to youtube and search well-earned comforts and uh the first video that i made is kind of a deep dive into faramir and his interaction with frodo and Hen and why it's different from the movies and how uh how paramere is actually just a really good man of virtue and wisdom and it really shines through and in, in ways that unfortunately peter jackson uh just decided not to go down that road but yeah, yeah just kind of a quick plug for that no that's awesome i love that yeah so uh you've been all over the world really so uh <laughs> what are you what are you doing
0: yeah man it's been wild so i just listened because i was like what did we even do last time i don't even know so i, I listened to like our podcast while I was mowing earlier today from the last episode to just try to remember where we were. And I remember in the babbling like Butterbur, I was like, yeah, we're about to leave for high school camp. Um, so that happened. We went to South Carolina and did our high school camp. That was fun. We had 670 high schoolers from our entire church going there. It was nuts. A kid actually set off stink bomb on one of the floors (laughs) of the hotel and it permeated through the entire hotel and we didn't even have the entire hotel like there were actual guests yeah, there yeah. there was even there were like some pilots from southwest airlines there that were like what is happening right now this is complete anarchy and it was and uh, that's <laughs> what well, happens you when you not the
1: quality of their service but
0: well <laughs> fair enough uh, but yeah it, it was there were some really good things that came out of it we're going to have some baptisms this sunday from that and uh, some really from good conversations yeah 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 that's what turned people yeah, to christ yeah. yeah. <laughs> no okay yeah. well good to know <laughs> from the sessions and the small group stuff like that but uh, sure. then i had a few days about five days before going off to africa so i went to uganda africa i took some other high schoolers with me uh, seven high schoolers and we had a team of adults as well that went there and did vacation bible school for uh, musana out there which is an organization that i went with ariel and i both did back in 2017 with Flatirons, our old church mm-hmm. and so it was really cool to go back there six years later, see the development, see the growth of Musana. And Musana just means light shining. Like that's kind of what it means in in the local language, Lusogo. And it's truly that's what it is. Like one thing that our students kept saying coming back from that was like, if that's a glimpse of heaven, like I'm excited for heaven. Cause you know, people always think of heaven as like, we're just gonna be hanging out, like holding hands, singing Chris Tomlin, like you know, it's gonna yeah. be really boring. But you know, the way that you would step foot into the grounds of Musana and you see 500 kids just sprint at you singing and dancing grab your arms pull you in just you don't even know where you're going they just let just walk you into like their school and walk you into their 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 place where they live and they're just so excited to see you and you dance uh, without any kind of shame you sing without any kind of shame and I mean it was it was something special and especially getting to see our high schoolers experience that was a, a gift um, it was very difficult being away from Ariel for 10 days. Like that's yeah. the longest we've been apart. And, you know, obviously I was very distracted. She got to spend some time in Colorado, which was good. Um, but yeah, definitely tough to leave my pregnant wife behind for 10 days. Uh, she's in her third trimester now. And I mean, Baron's just moving around like crazy in there. He's, sure. he's kicking, he's punching, he's churning. I mean, it's just wild. Like it's so real and I don't know. It's, it's cool but it's also terrifying that we only have just a few more weeks and then we'll we'll get to meet them <laughs> where we feel like we're ready in a lot of ways, but in a lot of ways we really aren't. So we'll just well, have how, to figure it out. That's as we how go. it's going to
1: be. That is how yeah. it is yep. going to be. And the things you're not ready for, you'll find out that, Oh, you know what? I'm ready now that I'm in the moment and I'll figure out how to cross this bridge now. So yeah, absolutely. So that that's awesome. It sounds like you got a great time out there. i I've never had the privilege of, you know, leaving the country and going out. But every, you know, every time you hear from somebody that does get to go do that, they say, you know, just the people are so much happier as a whole, Mm -hmm. you know, than we are here in the Western quote unquote, more developed world. It's, it's almost like the amount of technology that we have, which is fantastic. I mean, we're sitting and ragged across from each other. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know,
1: doing this podcast, which is awesome, but so much of our lives is dictated by technology and politics and all this stuff, and, and the people over there, every person I've talked to that is from the Western world that goes over there, they just have a heck of an experience, and they're like, these people are happy, they have community, they have relationships with one another that are just so much more genuine than the Facebook interaction type of relationships yep. that we have over here. I mean they depend on one another like
0: that's genuinely you see that like Musana like where we were the primary school it's it's like kindergarten through middle school pretty much and so you got the older kids that are pretty much like helping father and mother some of these younger kids because they're boarding school like it's a boarding school so majority of them actually stay there the entire time and so they don't get to be with their families Um, which for some like for most of them they're getting a better life there than they would with their families because they're getting three meals a day as opposed to maybe one You know, so it's, it's, they're getting a much better opportunity there, but I'll, I'll preach for a little bit because they have at the high school where we were staying at the guest house, we were in walking distance to one of the high schools. They have Musana's got, uh, two high schools, four primary schools, two hospitals, a restaurant, like they're all over the place now, you know, they've Mm -hmm. grown so much since last time I've been there, but we walked over to the high school because every morning from seven to seven twenty, they do praise and worship service, and it's just optional. It's student led, and it's optional. And we there's like hundred kids there every time, and it was led by students who were like doing the worship. They're singing, they're dancing, they're they're doing that. And then a student came up and he taught, and he taught out of the Sermon on the Mount, and he taught on specifically where Jesus says, like, don't worry about what you eat or drink or what you wear, for the body's more than food and clothing. And I've never. Like I've read that a million times. I've even t- taught it a bunch, but I've never once heard it taught from the perspective of somebody who literally has worried lives about it where every day. Yeah, yeah, who yeah. has worried about where their next meal is coming from, or if they're gonna have clothes on their back. You know, it's not like, oh man, I really want Chipotle right now. It's like, no, it's just <laughs> what's what's my next meal, or you know, sure. I want these Jordans, these Nikes. It's like, no, I just want to make sure I can have shoes on my feet it's, it's just a whole different perspective. And he was completely convinced. He's like, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and you'll be good. Like God's going to provide for you. He's, he's done that in my life. He's going to do that for you. And he's telling these younger kids that, and it just, I mean, I almost started tearing up. I was like, wow, this is a whole level of faith that I don't even know if I can unlock, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just crazy. That's, that's incredible. That's really cool.
0: Yeah. All I'd say it was amazing. If you have an opportunity, Check out Musana, selfish plug, not even a selfish, shameless plug. Uh, Check out Musana. Just see what they're about. If you're looking for a place to tithe and you don't want to give it to a church or something, give it to Musana, man. They're doing amazing. Amazing work.
1: I love it. I love it.
0: Yeah. Well, that's plenty of babbling. We got a lot of uh, meat and potatoes. But before then, of course, one of our favorite segments, Riddles in the Dark. Riddles in the Dark, where we grab a little bit of dialogue from our three-in-one Lord of the Rings book. And to see if we can stump the other person to see what the character is, uh, what the context is, and where in the book we are reading from. So without further ado, uh, Seth, cool. see, what see, do see. you got for me?
1: I think you could probably get this one. All right, here we go. Do not understand. All right. Are you ready? Sorry. Yeah. yeah sorry. <laughs> <You're good. laughs> All right, okay. here we go. Do not misunderstand him, Lord, said blank. It is not for lack of care that grieves me. No house could be fair for those who desire to be healed. But I cannot, hear, but I cannot lie here in sloth, idle, caged. I looked for death in battle, but I have not Okay, died.
0: yeah, 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 yeah. That's Eowyn talking to Faramir in the Houses of Healing. Um,
1: is she talking to... Or is she talking to Aragorn? No, she is talking to Faramir. It, the okay. part right above it, she's like talking to the Warden. Um oh okay but of the houses of healing, but in that specific one, yeah, you're right. So well done. I mean, it's it was pretty obvious. You know, I am mean, she's looking for battle and death. She's
0: the house this house of healing, it's nice, but yeah. I mean, it's still
1: you got it. Hey, take your wins I'll take the I'll them. take they're, the coup. Yeah, yeah, those, yeah. those W's between. are few and far between,
0: all right. <laughs> That's right. All right. Uh let me see. Let me let me let me get something for you here. All right, this is probably going to be pretty easy. I'm going to cut it off at a random spot so it might make it a little harder. But <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Indeed, things have changed, said Blank, but there's no mistake in the place. There's all that remains the stairfalls. If I remember right, there was a flight of steps cut in the rock at their side. Hmm. You want me to keep going? Read that part again. Indeed, things have changed, said Blank. But there's no mistaking the place. There is all that remains of the stairfalls. If I remember right, there was a flight of steep of steps cut in the rock at their side.
1: Jeez. I almost want to say that's Smeagol talking about the stairs of Kirathungle, but I I don't think it is. I really don't. No, that's not Uh, how Smeagol talks. Well I know the word indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Just the context of it is what made me think of that. But I I know it isn't. Um all right, go a little going. bit further. Yeah. But the main road wound away left and climbed with several
0: loops up to the level ground at the top. There used to be a shallow valley beyond the falls right up to the walls of blank. I can't say the word or else <laughs> you'll get it.
1: This has to be like Gandalf talking about the Mines of Moria, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, I, that is still not ringing a bell, but that has to be. Um, Hold on, hold on. Is this when they're on the outer wall when they're walking around to get they're they're traversing around the lake to get to the doors of Durin? Uh, yes. Okay. It looks like okay. it. Yeah. Okay. I'm not sure who he's talking to there, potentially Frodo, but or just uh, generalized he... speaking to the the group.
0: Yeah, I think he's just kind of talking to the
1: group. Actually, he's talking to Gando- or Gimli. I think. Oh, okay. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually that was a harder one than I thought. That was a that was a good one. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh Journey in the Dark is the chapter name. Ah, yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Fellowship yeah. of the Ring. Indeed. <laughs> well <laughs>
0: Yes, Fellowship of the Ring. Indeed is what Gandalf would say, not what Smeagol would say. Right. Right. Well said. <laughs> Uh, as far as tidings of the fellowship go uh, no new tidings we do have that email from nate that we have not opened up per his request which this is the last chapter i don't know should we open it now or do we want to do it on the next
1: one so this next episode it'll be a fun one we're kind of do like uh like a eulogy almost of the book uh in a way and i've got some fun ideas that we'll both have to research Uh, topics for and we'll just have a fun episode kind of recapping the book and stuff so we'll read it on that one that's fair but i do want to i do want to hear it oh yeah um and i will say there uh was a guy named darren not our friend darren but a darren that i connected with in a silmarillion facebook page and he was asking (laughs) about the death of niniel and like why she decided to commit suicide and stuff and i was like hey bro Guess we got it covered. (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, "Sweet, send me the link." And so I sent it to him, and he's like, "Wow, that was fantastic! You got me. I'm downloading all the episodes." So no way, Darren, welcome listening. Welcome, welcome. Glad to have you. Yeah,
0: that's awesome. I love those kind of connections. That's really, really cool. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Makes me wonder. You know, Andrew should be coming up on these uh, episodes here pretty soon too. So hopefully, we'll hear from him and Scott Marion, of course, and. And because now Seth is, if, if you guys don't know this about Seth, he is now a runner, and so you can find him on Strava. <laughs> you can find him on Strava, uh, Seth Moldenhauer, and follow all his runs. He's yeah he's Did moving you pretty see quick
1: from this morning. Yeah, that wasn't bad. Uh, it, I yeah, I thought it was pretty solid. I mean, I'm still not much of a runner, but hey, seven twenty-five
0: for two two miles, two point seven miles, something like that. Two
1: point seven, yeah,
0: that's pretty good
1: it's pretty good i'll take it I, I i
0: did some runs in africa with with moses who is kind of like our guide through he, he works for mosana and he's i saw that you're like well. he barely
1: broke a sweat
0: <laughs> he did he was doing jumping jacks and stuff while we're running he's like come on sam let's go you can run faster <laughs> <laughs> it's like i'm trying dude i'm trying and, and normally oh, like man. i mean that was wasn't a hard pace for me but like being jet lagged and
1: out of whack uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. Was, so, sure. was,
0: yeah yeah a lot of excuses but yeah that's all right
1: <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. cool though that's really cool
0: yeah no. anyway yeah tidings of fellowship we love you guys we love hearing from you guys so make sure to send us on uh, your thoughts your token stories whatever it is you'd like to send us and we will share it here on the podcast but moving from that into the meat and potatoes of today's podcast the lore like we mentioned in the intro there this is our final chapter of children of Huren, and seth and i were talking about this last time we podcasted it it does feel like it's kind of dragged on a little bit we're ready for the yeah. next thing but we cannot overlook the importance and the uh, the weight of this last chapter because it, it is really just the culmination of such an epic tale and uh, before mm-hmm. we get into that just a little quick summary from where we left off last time because if like me you don't even remember what we talked about last time because it's been so long uh, we jumped into uh, we, we we saw obviously Turin kill killed Glaurung which was great and then Glaurung's like his Venom poisoned Turin and he yeah. fell into a deep yeah, his blood poisoned Turin into a, a deep slumber and he he kind of fell down, looked to like he was dead you know, everyone thought he was dead, Brandir thought he was dead, but then Glaurong when Ninio came up to Turin and tried to mend him back to health, Glaurong had his final laugh and told him, hey, he's actually your brother, just so you know, and she remembered everything from before, and so then she has some conversation with the Brandir and then decides to jump off the cliff and die <laughs> she kills yeah. herself, falls into the Falls into the river. And then Brander, seeing that, was like, well, gosh, I kind of want to kill myself too now. But he doesn't. He goes back to the camp, tells everybody what happened, says, hey, Turin's dead. Nino jumped off a cliff. Also, their brother and sister. So it's kind of good that they're both dead. The dragon's dead. Like everything's actually doing okay. And that's kind of where we left off. Again, Turin is still, he's not dead, but he is in this like sleep like stupor next to the dead body of Glaurong. And that's kind of where we pick up
1: yeah so this chapter just jumps right into the action and it just kind of hits the ground running no pun intended um <laughs> so as niniel is running away yelling for turin and decides to you know jump in the water laurung died at that point he took his last breath and he died and with that the the curse that or not the curse but the venom kind of released turin from the darkness that was surrounding him and he i think it was raining and it was in the middle of the night and he rolled over and yeah. then um the hilt of gore kind of poked him in his stop in his side and he he woke up and he, i kind of just imagine like i don't know one of those old like saturday morning cartoons where you know somebody gets poked in the butt <laughs> and they jump up like straight ah. up and run away yeah yeah that's kind of what i imagine happens when he rolls over uh and gore just kind of bumps into him and so he gets to his feet and he looks at his hand in bewilderment because if if you remember he he was bound by niniel she had wrapped up his hand where yeah. uh, the dragon blood had landed and so he looks at it and he sees the white cloth and he's he's thinking to himself why would uh why would one tend me so and yet leave me here to lie cold amid the wreck and the dragon stench what strange things have chanced and so with that he reaches down he picks up gorthang and he says this foul or foul was the venom of glaurung but you're stronger than i gorthang all blood you will drink yours is the victory and keep that keep that in mind yeah, All blood you yeah, will drink that's kind of prophetic back. Mm-hmm. um so at this point turin decides to go in search of Niniel because he's like all right well i killed the dragon i did what i want to do i need to go i need to go find my woman uh and t- also to seek out the healing hands of brandir because if you remember brandir was lame and so he wasn't great uh when he was up against orcs but he was very skilled in in healing and so he wants to go seek out his his woman and his healer and so he decides to go back to Nengareth, which is the place uh that he sets forth towards that direction and when he arrived there the men and women that were gathered there that were too scared to go check out where the dragon had had died they you know they they were still too scared to approach that site but they were still hanging back they all see Mm -hmm. him and they they freak out and they think he's like a wraith or a spirit a ghost of turin and they all take back and run away and turin's confused and he calls back after him and he's like hey guys i killed the dragon it's me like rejoice rejoice with me i killed the dragon i live and the people are like wait a minute he's not a wraith and they turn towards brandir and they look at him and they're like fool with your false tales saying that he lay dead did we not say that you were mad and brandir at this point is just he's dumbfounded he kind of just looks at turin and he has fear in his eyes but also just bewilderment and so turin he looks right at brandir and he's still confused and he he doesn't know what all transpired while he was in his swoon and so he looks at Brandir and he says, "It was you then that were there and tended my hand. I thank you. But your skill your skill is failing if you cannot tell swoon from death because he st- he doesn't realize that it was actually Neniell that had bound his hand." He's like, "Geez, Brandier, like you bound my hand but thought I was dead? Come on. You're not that. Yeah. You have more skill than that." Uh, and then he actually chastises the people. He tells all the people he says like, "Hey, this is Brandir. He's he's not a fool. Do not call him that." At least he mm-hmm. had the like the the strength of heart to come look upon the battle because he still thinks Brandir is the one that that took care of his hand and Turin turns right. back and asks for tidings of Niniel and he was like for sure nobody would be dumb enough to bring her near this place so she's back at home right like what's going on and no one responded and Turin w- just started crying out in frustration and he starts asking like where. Where is Niniel? Give me tidings of my wife, which is his sister. Um, But he just starts (laughs) yelling that out. And with that, Brandir finally responds to him, and he has just pure anguish in his heart, and he cried out, Your house is empty. Niniel is not there. She is dead. And with that, the wife of Doralas actually cried in a shrill voice, towards Turin and she says Brandir came back and he was crazed and he was saying that Turin is dead and that these were good tidings and also saying that Niniel was dead so obviously you're alive maybe Niniel is too he's obviously crazy he thought it was good that you were dead um and Turin is just kind of bewildered and so he just turns into this big rage monster really towards towards Brandir. Yeah,
0: and uh, we' well, we just kind of figured we'd kind of read some of this dialogue here because it's it's really good and it's just something that I I think as, especially as you're trying to understand Turin in this moment, he's trying to figure out what's true. He's trying to figure out where is his wife. He's trying to figure out why does Brandier, you know, think it's good that he's dead. And so uh, he he says, "So my death was good tidings." He cried, "Yes, Ever, you did begrudge hurts for me. That I knew. You know, he's like, I I knew you like didn't want her to." To be with me, I knew that. Now she is dead, you say, and yet worse. What lie have you begotten in your malice, clubfoot? I love that. He's like, you know, it's kind of like hop foot, but this is this is definitely more derogatory. Clubfoot, he says. Would you slay us then with foul words, since you can wield no other weapon? Again, just harrying at his ability or lack thereof to fight. You know, he's calling him clubfoot. He's saying like, what
1: what good are you, other than to stir up conflict with your words? And then anger drove pity from Brandir's heart, and he cried, Crazed? Nay, crazed are you, black sword of black doom and all this dote-hearted people or dotard people. I do not lie. Niniel is dead. Dead. Dead Seek her in Tagling.
0: Then Turin stood still and cold. How do you know? he said softly. How did you
1: contrive it? I know, because I saw her leap, answered Brandir. But the contriving was yours. She fled from you, Turin, son of Hurin. And in Cabananeris, she cast herself, that she might never see you again. Niniel, Niniel, Nay, Nienor, daughter of Hurin. So
0: there we get it. Like, again, this is the first Turin's ever hearing about this. So then Turin seized him and shook him. I can imagine he just like picks him up. Oh, and yeah. He's like, ah, like, there's no way. <laughs> what are you doing to me? So he, he's like, what Turin's... are you
1: saying to me right now?
0: Yeah, like this is this is complete craziness. It's it's outlandish and then so turin seized him and he shook him for in those words he heard the feet of his doom overtaking Mm. him again something he's been running away from changing his name left and right just trying to get away from this thing but he feels in those words the doom overtaking him like man there might be some truth to this but in her horror and fury his heart would not receive them as a beast hurt to death that would wound ere it dies all that are near it "'Yes, I am Turin, son of Hurin,' he cried, "'so long ago you guessed. "'But nothing do you know of Neonor, my sister, nothing. "'She dwells in the hidden kingdom and is safe. "'It is a lie of your own vile mind "'to drive my wife, Witless, and now me, "'you limping evil. "'Would you dog us both
1: to death?' "'And Brandir shook him off. "'Touch me not,' he said. "'Stay your raving. "'She that you name wife,' came to you, and tended you, and you did not answer her call, but one answered for you, Glaurung, the dragon, who I deem bewitched you both to your doom. So he spoke before the. he ended, Nienor, daughter of Hurin, here is your brother, treacherous to foes, faithless to friends, a curse unto his ken, Turin, son of Hurin. Then suddenly, Fay laughter seized on Brandir. <laughs> on their deathbed, men will speak true, they say, he crackled. And Even a dragon, too, it seems, Turin, son of Hurin. A curse unto your ken, and unto all that harbor you. Then Turin grasped Girthing, and
0: a fell light was in his eyes. And what should be said of you, Clubfoot, he said slowly? Who told you her secretly behind my back my right name? Who brought her to the malice of the dragon? Who stood by and let her die? Who came hither... To publish this horror at the swiftest. Who would now gloat upon me? Do men speak true before death? Then speak now quickly."
1: Then Brandir, seeing death in Turin's face, stood still, and did not quail, though he had no weapon but his crutch. And he said, All that has chanced is a long tale to tell, and I am weary of you, but you slander me, son of Hurin. Did Glaurung slander you? If you slay me, then all shall see that he did not. Yet I do not fear to die, for then I will go seek Niniel, whom I loved, and perhaps I may find her again beyond the sea.
0: Seek Niniel? he cried. Nay, Glaurung you shall find and breed lies together. You shall sleep with the worm, your soul's mate, and rot in darkness. Then he lifted up Girthain and hewed Brandir and smote him to death. But the people hid their eyes from the deed. And as he turned and went from Ningirith they fled from him in terror.
1: Ooh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I went, mean, this um, is... Yeah. Good. He went from completely defending Brandir in front of the people who were calling Brandir crazed and a fool. And he went from directly defending him to just completely lashing out and slaying him in front of everybody
0: and how many times have we seen this from Turin I mean obviously this is like the the, the climax of his doom right he said it he felt it upon him but how yep. many times have we seen him just be like nope I'm done <laughs> like you're dead <laughs> I'm gonna kill you and I mean kudos to Brandier. he saw it coming he's like yep I'm gonna die but I stood up to you and that's that's enough valor for me. Like I kind of, I kind of respect him for that. I mean, obviously he did stir in a lot of drama and he was, you know, I think Turin had some truth to what he said about like, you know, your, your best weapon is your words. Cause you can't do anything else. And you're, you know, deceiving people and you're stirring things up. And so I get that, but at the same time, I mean, you got to give it to Brandier for just standing his ground, knowing he's about to get cut in half by, uh, by Gurthang, But, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. it's a total
1: it's a total respect totally respectable death on the part of Brandeer yeah. and you you feel for Turin at the same time because he's again acting rashly but I think at this point he just realizes that every step of the way and he's realized this a few times but now it's yeah. his doom is upon him and he's like there's just nothing left and anybody who's mis- you know who who's wronged me is going out as I'm going out so I think he just finally yeah. with, for lack of a better term, just snapped.
0: Yeah, definitely. And as he snapped, he, he took off running after this evil deed of slaying brandier. He went running through the woods and he was cursing middle earth and the lives of men. He was just in this horrible rage of madness. And after a while of running, he just kind of sat down and pondered all the deeds of his life up to this point. And, you know, to, Tolkien puts it really, really beautifully. He said, then he heard himself crying she dwells in the hidden kingdom is safe. Like he's, he's repeating what he said, like trying to convince himself that there's no way he married his sister. There's no way that Nino is Ninior. She's back there's with the no way with,
1: he impregnated his sister. Ugh,
0: yeah. There's no way that his Yeah. It's she's back with thingle and Melian. It's fine. Like that's, that's the truth. He was trying to convince her that this whole time. And so he can't believe all he's learned. And yet, as he was feeling the doom of those words of Brandier kind of ske- come come to the forefront, he feels, I mean, he can't help but imagine he's starting to give a little bit of weight to some of the words that, that Brandier had spoken, maybe some truth to what he had said. But at this point, turin has got nobody left. Nobody left in his corner. I mean, through his entire journey, he's had people on his side, you know, people that, you know, trusted him, people that loved him, even amidst all his temper and his flare-ups but now he is utterly alone. No one's going to bring him count- counsel and so he goes to, you know, one place that's kind of familiar to him, to the resting place of Finduilas, the Eleth, and he wished there that he'd never listened to the counsel of the dragon. And he begged Fenduilas to send him counsel. He's just kind of kneeling by that mound like Fenduilas, like help me, give me something. I
1: mean, you you got to imagine that he's feeling pretty regretful towards towards uh, Fendui lost as well because she's dead yeah. because he listened to Glaurung and so he's going to this place with he he wants counsel but I guarantee he's it's almost like oh crap even even she is gone because of me yeah yeah he's realizing
0: you know again and again people have just been wiped out in the wake of his his doom and of Morgoth's curse on him and as Turin is crying out he finally dis- he's discovered by some of the hunters of who else but Mablong's company. If you remember Mablong a while back, a few episodes back, uh, Thingol gave him the leave to go seek for Turin because after Mablong lost uh, Morwin and Neonor, he was like, man, I just got to go find somebody like this was my task. And I feel like I failed. I need to find Turin. I need to figure out what's going on. And so Mablong sees him and he's so happy to finally see him. He's glad to see Turin alive, but he looked at him. He's like, man, like the, the, the years look heavy upon you. He he tells him and <laughs> heavy as, as Turin says, yes, as the feet of Morgoth. But if you're glad to see me living, you're the last in middle earth. Why? So where he's just saying like, there's nobody else who wants me alive right now. I'm surprised that you even think that, <laughs> but then Seth, you made an interesting tie in here to uh, the battle between Fingolfin and, and Morgoth speak to that a little bit.
1: Yeah. So uh, this statement that Turin makes, um, When he says heavy, yes, as the feet of Morgoth. Like, the years look heavy upon you. And he's heavy, yes, the feet of Morgoth. This just kind of stood out to me because it reminded me in the Silmarillion of the battle between Fingolfin and Morgoth right after the Dagger Bragalach or the Battle of Sudden Flame. um, When Fingolfin, who at the time was the High King of the Noldor, uh, just decided, like, there's nothing for it. I'm going to go challenge Morgoth and one-on-one combat combat, excuse me. Come, it, come, it, come it. <laughs> We'll get there. Uh one on one combat. And um with that fight, uh Fengolfin actually wounded him seven times. Mm. Uh but the way he died is he grond the Hammer of the Underworld, not the Grand from the right. Return of the King, but the original grond the mace of Morgoth. Uh he missed and made a giant crater and engulfed and stepped back and he slipped and landed on his back and morgoth put his left foot upon his neck and the weight of it was like a fallen hill and so Mm. turin would have known this story because if you remember at the beginning of the book when hurin loses loliath uh his his daughter to the black death basically the the sickness that came out of angband um, he actually says, Mar of Middle Earth, would that I might see you face to face and mar you as my lord Fingolfin did. That's earlier mm. in this book. And so you know that Turin as a kid was told this story about yeah. the battle between Fingolfin and Morgoth. And and so he knows about this. And so he's he's making a statement saying yeah, the the weight of the years that have been upon me is basically like that weight of a hill just on my neck. It's it's the foot of Morgoth on top of me. So wow. yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's a little bit too di- deep of a dive, but it just really stood out to me. And I kind of hit a flow state while I was writing this and just disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, golly. It was like, oh, connection, connection, connection. And I was like, okay, maybe I'm going a little deep. But it's really interesting deep to me. Dive, I like yeah. I like going deep into that stuff. So, sure. Um, basically at this point the elves are still rejoicing though they're like Turin you killed Glaurung like heck yeah I'll celebrate what's wrong with you and he simply replies saying like I care not because my heart is also slain and then he's like all right mm-hmm. these are elves of Doriath the hidden kingdom that's where yeah. my family should be and so he starts asking give me word of my kin and all of the elves are silent and they just like you know they go from celebrating and rejoicing hey we found He killed the dragon and then he just they're silent as soon as as soon as Turin starts asking about his kin and Mablong kind of awkward like who's gonna say it (laughs) (laughs) who's gonna speak up hey Mablong's the leader let's let him do it um so Mablong speaks up and he answers that they were in Doriath for a time but now they're gone and he tells Turin um a kind of just a summary of the tale and the unknown fates of his kin and how they were lost you know morwen near nargothrond and how they were trying to bring ninio back and she disappeared and ran off and he's just telling him this but he's he's telling turin you couldn't possibly have seen neonor and turin replies can i not can i not Mablung? but why no foresee i am blind did you not know blind blind groping since childhood in the dark mist of morgoth so just the way tolkien writes these it's not it's he Turin is always referencing the pain that Morgoth directly is yep. putting upon him. So he's blind yep. because of Morgoth. He's, you know, the years are heavy because of Morgoth. It's mm. it's a very interesting way of putting all this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, he, and man, it, it, just the way he's, like, kind of putting the pieces together. Like, can yeah. I not have? Like, of course, Morgoth has been in charge my entire life. Of course this would be the case. Yeah. Like,
1: he's if putting it, was, it
0: together. Like.
1: Yeah, checks out. <laughs> yeah, if something bad was going to happen, Morgoth was going to cause it to me. Yeah. And it's just like I said, the way he writes it, it you can just feel the pain and the emotion uh, like bleeding off the page as you read that. And it just it kind of makes you feel for him. And at yeah. this point, Tûrin is just like, you know what? F this. Like I'm out. And he turns and he flees from the elves and he sprints back to where uh where Níniel had jumped the cabin in Aris. And at this point, he decides that, that life just is not worth living anymore. And he looks down at the stream, and he thinks for a second. And then he says, I will not defile your waters where Neneo was washed, for all my deeds have been ill, and the latest, the worst. Mm. Which I imagine he's referencing um, the impregnation, if you will, of yeah. his sister.
0: Um, yeah.
1: Um, and so this is where Sam and I are actually going to read just a little bit more. I know we did a giant spot before, <laughs> um, but we kind of just have to read through this because this is really the climax of the and it just, it hits home. Yeah. So, so I'll start off here. And then he drew forth his sword and said, hail Gorthang, iron of death, you alone now remain, but what Lord or loyalty do you know? Save the hand that wheels you. From no blood will you shrink. Remember he said that earlier.
0: From mm-hmm. no blood
1: will you shrink. Will you take Turin Turambar? Will you slay me swiftly? And from the blade ring a cold
0: voice in answer. The blade is talking. <laughs> yeah. From the blade ring a cold voice in answer. Yes, I will drink your blood. That I may forget the blood of Beleg, my master, and the blood of Brandir slain
1: unjustly. I will slay you swiftly. Then Turin set the hilts upon the ground and cast himself upon the point of Gorthang, and the Black Blade took his life. <sighs> oh, man. So, if you remember... The sword! The so- <laughs>
0: Why did they take the sword? <laughs> From, like, what? how many episodes ago was I like, just leave the sword, Beleg. Don't <laughs> take it. And then, oh, Turin no. kills Beleg with the sword. Oh, I should probably take the sword. No, Turin, leave the sword. Don't take it. And now the sword is like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll kill you.
1: <laughs> and if you remember, even when Beleg was trying to get the sword, when he when Thingol and Melian, way back when, were saying, yeah, whatever you need to take on this journey, and he had a sword. And Melian was like, well, this this is dark as as the person who made it, who was Ael, the dark elf, and who was mm-hmm. not a good person, who had to basically use the sword as tribute to escape the land of Doriath, basically. Um but Melian, of all the people, always giving out perfect advice, do not take Nobody the sword, either. and he does it anyways. And yeah, I wanted to ask you, Sam. Do you think that the sword speaking is the sword legitimately speaking, or do you think that it's kind of the subconscious of Turin telling himself, like, "You slayed Brandir unjustly."
0: Hmm, that's a that's a good question. I would say just from how Tolkien uses inanimate objects to be kind of animate if that makes sense like with the uh-huh. ring having some have, having some personality of its own some some pull of its own i think sure. the sword has that as well and i mean you we see it time and time again like with beleg too the killing of beleg like that was kind of the sword not not the swords doing in a sense but even the sword poking tourn to wake up like i think it hmm. it kind of has a little bit of pull in the world kind of like the one ring sure. would have and okay. I mean, I don't know how it would speak. I don't know if that's something that was just touring her subconscious and giving, you know, this being some voice words to what it, but, the sword was projecting in a way. Yeah. But at this point, he's got so many demons in his brain, man. Like he yeah. he is just his psyche his psyche's shot. And so it could very well be like he's just schizophrenic at
1: this point. And the sword's <laughs> like, yeah, let me yeah. just kick let me just take you out. <laughs> man. And so if you remember in last week's episode, um, when Turin was, I think it was last week, might have been the one before, what, last week, who am I kidding, uh, last <laughs> episode, um, when Turin was talking to Niniel, and he said that, you know, Morgoth or his minions, neither of them us are going to die by their hand. And yeah, that prophecy rings true as Niniel takes her own life by jumping in the cabinanaris and Turin takes his own life by, you know, jumping on the hilt of thing or on the the point of Gorthang. Um, so it's, that's where, that's where Turin ends but the story keeps going um and at this point Mablung and the rest of the elves just like chase Turin down to like hey come back like we've let everybody else get away we're not letting get away and they get up there and they see what what he's done and Mablung you can just feel like what he's going through too we've talked about that with Mm -hmm. his his failure on the the quest of Nargothrond and everything and and he says to himself, I also have been meshed in the doom of the children in Hurin, and thus with words have slain one that I loved. And so he's taking, he's taking blame for Turin yeah. killing himself, which I don't know if that's actually fair. Um, nah, because I wouldn't say so. <laughs> Turin was going to do something anyways. Uh, yeah. all, all Mablung did was confirm what Turin already knew. Yeah. Uh, so at this point, the Men of Brathil, they destroyed the body of, Gor- of Gorthang. Here I do go it again. Um, <laughs> I knew it was going to happen. Time, at some of course, point. yeah. I knew it was going to happen. Of course. Um, but yeah, the Men of Breathil destroyed the body of Glaurung and they created a massive burning, and the land was completely barren thereafter, and nothing would, nobody would go near it. And they took Turin's body and they laid him in a high mound alongside the shards of Gorthang, um that had broken asunder.
0: Which is so interesting. The shards of Girthing, like I mean, you think of this the sword that was able to pierce through Dragonhide without any problem, withstood the Dragon Blood without any problem. And then now after killing Turin, shattered. Like it's like that was its last mm. goal. Like its will is done. And it just boom.
1: That that's all it took. Yeah. No, that's a very interesting. I mean, you could go down a bunch of rabbit holes was the sword. Sure ashamed of everything it had done, you know, with slaying Ugh. Beleg and yeah. slaying Brandeer was, was Turin such a formidable person and just being that the sword had to take everything it had in it to kill him. And so it right. sh- shattered. That's, that's an interesting point. Yeah. You, you bring up something very interesting there. Wonder. I wonder about that one. I mean, of all
0: the things the sword has been able to do, like the right. reason why Beleg wanted it in the first place and then just,
1: because somebody like jumped on stuck it, it in their stomach, and jumped on it, and now it's broken. I mean, there's gotta be more to that. Yeah. And again, Tolkien just kinda leaves yeah, that leaves up to up your to own that. interpretation. Sure. And <sighs> uh, so then after the they made the tomb for Turin, they they decided, you know, we can't make a, a tomb for Niniel, um, because they didn't know where the taken her. They never knew if she reached the sea or if she was still like on the rocks down there or whatever. Um, and they, they built a mound for Turin, like I said, and they put a headstone at the top and it basically read like, here lie the children of Hurin.
0: Hmm. Golly. And, you know, again, the book doesn't stop there either. You think, you know, the children of Hurin are both dead. Now we're done with this book, the children of Hurin. But uh, we actually jump all the way back to, if you forgot about them, Hurin the dad you know and again from the beginning he's watching everything happen through the eyes of Morgoth and so he's seeing everything that we just talked about and so with the death of Turin and Neonor Morgoth's curse you know he's is finally come to fruition he's utterly destroyed the children of Hurin and Hurin at this point has nothing left to live for really and so he's like all right Hurin you know, you've suffered enough, go die as you wish. You know, he just kind of lets him go. Well, Weirdly that's what enough, he, which, that's
1: what he makes tour or I'm sorry. Ma- that's what he makes. Hurin yeah. It makes think. one think. Yeah. But he's using him. He's got, yeah, he's, he's still using him.
0: He's using him, but he's at the same time, like telling him, Hey, it's, you know, I, I'm done with you. I'm done playing with you. Here you go. Yeah. Which is funny. Cause you mentioned like going back to the very beginning of the book, like if he could see, Morgoth face-to-face, he'd mar him just like Fingolfin did, and he did see him face-to-face, and all that happened was his two kids got completely and utterly destroyed in a very tragic way because of it, so maybe yeah. should have rethought how formidable his foe was at that point, but sure. again, Hurin has seen everything that just happens, and you know, our books, if you're reading through this with Just Children of Hurin, edited by Christopher Tolkien, you read through this, and kind of the last thing that you see is... Hurin finding Morwen and so Morwen who had ran away like just kind of in the mist back at the coming of Glaurong you know way back she just kind of appears out of nowhere Hurin finds her and at the graves of their children and Morwen just kind of dies in in his arms in Hurin's arms they have some dialogue they talk about you know she's like you didn't come in time it's too late our kids are done and she just dies in his arms and that's kind of the the end of the book like it's it's a weird kind of end of the book and i don't know if this is because of the way christopher tolkien had to edit it if this is the way that you know J.R. tolkien really wanted it to be i don't know what do you think seth is that like just an editing thing or
1: i honestly have no idea um maybe because this standalone story has been so focused on turin that maybe that abrupt ending about hurin and morwen was more fitting rather than carrying on the story and bringing it completely full circle with what happens to hurin after um just because it i don't know it it is almost anticlimactic you go from the death of both the children of hurin and then all of a sudden if you keep reading in the silmarillion and uh the histories of middle earth and the the uh, i believe it's the uh the war of the jewels it continues about all of Hurin's wanderings after being released. And so I think, I think Christopher Tolkien just kind of wanted it to be a standalone story and just used, you know, his editing privileges to be like, no, this was about Turin and who, and, uh, and Nienel more so than Hurin. Yeah. That be would, my yeah. Case. That makes sense. Sure. Yeah. But I, because I that. we love you guys. We are going to actually go through <laughs> some of that. So this podcast yeah. is only halfway over. We did all the heavy lifting for you, or rather Seth did
0: all the heavy lifting for you while I was recovering from jet lag, and we did some deep dive in, uh, again, he did some deep dive in to kind of see what Hurin's travels were after after that. So kind of backtracking a little bit before he meets Morwen, he first went back to Dorloman. You know, again, he just goes back home thinking that's where the best place to go is, and he was only there to find that it was, again, just a, a dark place, way different than what he remembered it to be and he was shunned by his own people because again they feared him as a wraith they're like there's no way this is hurin you know the house of uh, of Halith. like there's no way that this is that guy and so uh then he joined some of the men that uh ended up actually rescuing turin and they you know from before and they traveled with him to the edge of Brethil, again where chi- where hurin knows where the grave of his children are and so at that point, he just kind of, like, disbands from that, that group. He hung out with him for a little while, but he disbands of him, gives him the slip. Journeys northeast uh, to the Chrysogrim with the hopes of gaming him minutes to Gondolin, um, actually. Because he, if you remember from the very beginning of the book, him and Huar uh, had gotten airlifted and airdropped into Gondolin yep. by the eagles. And so he's like, well, that was a cool place. Maybe I can go back there. Um, but the eagles actually brought news of Hurin's approach to Turgon, the king of Gondolin who kind of replied saying your words bode ill for they can bear not but one meaning even hurin Thalion has surrendered to the will of morgoth
1: my heart is shut so if you remember hurin Thalion is what the elves named him it's meaning steadfast Steadfast. yeah yeah
0: yeah absolutely and so he's he's realizing like even the steadfast hurin has given over to the will of morgoth even if he doesn't know it like you know Morgoth is using this as an opportunity to know where the hidden city of Gondolin is. That's kind of what Morgoth is hoping to get out of this. So Turgon pondered these things. And again, Hurin cried out just kind of in the wilderness, hoping he's somewhere close to Turgon Uh, without fear of being heard. He just cries out, Turgon, Turgon, remember the Fen of Serek. Oh, Turgon, will you not hear in your hidden halls? And again, going back to the, you know, the first time that they, were given aid by Turgon when they went to the hidden city of Gondolin. But Huron, uh, Huron that's a tree, oh, I think. About time you do it. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's my turn to slip up. Huron uh, was her yelling in the direction by the servants of Morgoth because, again, the orcs and the captains, they're all trying to find this, this hidden city. And so they hear Huron just screaming in the wilderness like a madman. And they reported this quickly to Morgoth. And then he was like, okay, so the, the hidden city is nearby. You know, the high king of the Noldor Turgon, it's it's close by. But at this point, again, Huron never actually finds his way in. So he goes back to Brethel. And this is when he finds Morwen. And this is where kind of, like I said, we go backwards in time a little bit to where outside of your books, uh, there's some conversation here. And so uh, as he sees Morwin coming again. This is the first time he's seen his wife or anyone from his family for, you know, over 20 years. Right. And so he sees Morwin, and he's like, Elidwin, Elidwin, as, as she's kind of stumbling towards him, weak and frail. I mean, she'd been in the wilderness for the last however long since, you know, that departure of Neanor, I think it was probably
1: so. two or three years. I don't know for sure, but I I'd have to look at the dates, but I think it was at least two or three years.
0: Yeah, so she's just living off the land, like he hasn't had a change of clothes, a bath or anything probably, like she's just kind of stumbling into his arms as as he's finding him. And uh, Morwen says that, again, like I mentioned, it took too long for Huron to come back and that the children are lost. And Huron replies by saying that it was a dark road that he came back and and as he could know, he, he knows of their fate. He Again, he's seen everything that had happened. And, and Huron gave kind of a hopeful hopeful statement here he says but you're not you know again you're my wife like you're you're not gone but morwen's like well almost <laughs> i am spent utterly and so she says i'll go with the sun for they're lost my children little time is left if you know tell me how did she find him how did she find him how did neanor find turin She doesn't know. Morwen has no idea that they got married, that they they had a kid together. Hurin's like, do I even tell her this? He decides against it, which is probably smart. So Hurin doesn't even respond. And there, Morwen dies in his arms in the setting of sun. So then Hurin then rose up and made a grade for Morwen. And then that's where, again, the Children of Hurin book ends. Uh, But (laughs) Hurin's story doesn't. But again, a huge, heavy-ending tragedy... All around, it's just, it's insane. But I'm, I am I, thankful. I mean, you, you think about Morwin as a mom, not getting to hear the tragedy, the the full tragedy of her kids. That's, I guess that's a that's a win, I suppose. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. If, you, if and, you can find one. I mean, Huron, it's so hard because he finally finds his wife, and he's like, "Hey, there's a little hope. I know the kids are gone, but you're still here." And she's like, "No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not for this world." And then she asks that question and to him it's like, well, she's she's not going to be with me any very much longer. If I give her this piece of information it's just going to make things worse for her. And so he yeah. literally doesn't say anything else to her. Literally, she dies in his arms and the last thing that was spoken to them was, if you know, tell me, how did she find him? And yeah. he just can't even reply. Yeah, not an I love you, not a man, you're
0: my everything. It's just like tell me what's going on with my kids, man. And
1: it's heavy. <sighs> yeah, it's very heavy. Um. So, anyways, uh, I'll just summarize. Like I said, when I say that, but there's a few more paragraphs <laughs> to go. Still, I'm summarizing a lot of events. It's like 70 yeah. pages of of Hurin's wanderings in in the uh, histories of Middle Earth. So, it's a Again, lot. Again, big to kudos, big big
0: kudos to Seth for putting all this together. <laughs>
1: well, I I enjoyed it. I kind of, I kind of just hit flow state and enjoyed it. Um, but I appreciate it. I'm that. starting to I'm starting to think that maybe chat GBT just put all this together for you. I think just <laughs> had like
0: results of Huron's death, and then that's uh, what popped up. But
1: <laughs> not quite, not quite. Um, so after the death of Morwin, Hurin has many more things to go do. And he actually decides to go back to, to Nargothron and look upon uh, the halls that his son once commanded, and that Fenrod Felagund had, you know, commanded in Orodreth, and the place that the dragon had overtaken. And he walks in there and Tolkien says he looked upon the broken doors of Felagund while leaning upon his staff. And so I imagine he's just this old, withered man just leaning upon his staff, just looking at the destroyed entrance to this once mat- majestic city, really. And yeah. When he decides to go in and see what he can find, and and he does find somebody, uh, somebody that we once knew, and yeah. that somebody is Meme, the last of the Petty Dwarves, and he sees, uh, he sees who are incoming, and he actually kind of steps in front of him, and he's like, well, who are you? Why are you here? This is my land now." So after Amon Obel, or not Amon Obel, what is it? Amon Rude. Amon, Rood, Amon when Rude, when he yeah. betrayed when he betrayed Turin earlier in the book, he went south because he was actually one of the dwarves to help Fenrod make these caves and everything back in the day. Yeah. And so he went back there after his home was destroyed. And Turin looks at him and he says, Who are you Turin, that would Turin. hinder Turin? <laughs> yeah. Turin's Turin. dead. He's gone. <laughs> He's gone. <laughs> He's gone. Then Hurin replied, who are you that would hinder me from entering the house of Fenrod Feligan? And Meme basically says, you know, I'm one of the dwarves that mined these caves prior to them, and I've reclaimed it. And Hurin then says that uh, Meme won't enjoy his inheritance any longer. He states his name and who his son and he looks at Meme and he says, he says, My son was Turin Turambar, whom you have not forgotten. And it was he who slew Glaurung the dragon, who wasted these halls where you now sit. And not unknown to me by whom the dragon helm of Loman was betrayed. And so if you remember, mm. he was seeing all these things through through Morgoth's yep. eyes. And so he knows who Meme is. And at this point I'm imagining Meme just like shaking in his boots. If you remember, even with Turin, he immediately started to play victim and oh please don't kill me please don't kill me please don't kill me and so he's doing the same thing but at this point hurin just he has no pity i mean just like everything was taken away from Turin, now everything is taken away from hurin and he basically he's like i'm not listening to you and he he slays meme before the doors of nargothrown and and so ended the last of the petty dwarves he was the last of those particular i don't know race breed whatever you want to call him of those dwarves he was the last he was the oldest and he was the last yeah tribe um and so after that he entered in he was actually uninterested in this massive treasure and after looking around and stuff he only grabbed one thing and that one thing was the Nauglomir, which was a necklace that the dwarves had made originally for finrod Feligund by the and it was made by the craftsmen of nar nar wow It was made by the craftsmen (laughs) of Nogrod and Belagost, which were two uh, incredible dwarven cities. And it was the most prized possession of Finrod of all the treasures that he brought from Valinor. It was this Glamir that was so important. And at this point, Hurin, I imagine he's got this whole thing scripted out in his head. He's planning it step by step. He's like, I gotta go here, find this, go back here. Um, So he actually decides to go east towards doriath where he's captured by the watchmen of the elves um and he's brought before king thingal and and melian and he takes the naoglamyr and he throws it at at Thingol's feet and he says receive thou thy fee for thy for thy fair keeping of my children and wife for this is the Noglimir, whose name is known to many among the elves and men, and I bring it to thee out of darkness of Nargothrond, where Finrod, thy kinsman, left it behind him when he set forth with Beren, son of Bar- Barahir, to fulfil the errand of Thingol of Doriath. And so Hurin knows this piece of history. If you remember mm-hmm. way back from our Beren and Luthien episodes, Thingol was a very prominent character in that too. And yep. so. Turin knows exactly what he is doing. However, and I'm, I'm, go ahead. sorry,
0: I, I just I just love how yeah. he, he just like throws it down there like, okay, yeah, thanks for the charity. Like, here's your, here's your prize for it. Like, the fee for the fair keeping. I'm using air quotes. The fair keeping right. of my children and my wife. Like, well done. You see what you did? And yeah, granted, it wasn't just his fault because Turin left on his own accord. Neonor left on her own accord. Morwin left on her own accord. So, I mean, you got to feel a little bit of sympathy maybe for Thingol. He didn't mean for any of that to happen,
1: but he was pretty passive
0: with it, I guess.
1: I mean, you'll see as we go on down the document a little bit here, but Hurin is taunting Thingol and he he knows what he's doing. He's planned this out. But if you remember, Hurin has only seen everything through Morgoth's eyes. And so there's no way that Morgoth would allow clear vision of, you know, the good treatment. In Doria, well he wouldn't that, have been even that, be able to see it because of the girdle of million right he wouldn't have been able, been able to see that would he yeah probably not um that's a good point so the release or whatever of you know however to Huren, excuse me is is interpreting this he he's seeing it through a jaded lens yeah. um and Tolkien actually says that Thingol understood Hurin's intent and he was filled with pity and he restrained his mm. wrath, which if you remember from Baron and Luthien, he's not exactly right. Yeah. Um, and so he restrained his wrath and he endured Hurin's scorn. And so he just kind of, all right, say your piece. I know you've been through a lot, you know, get it out. You need to get it out. And at this point, you know, maybe the wisest of all beings in the first age of Balerian, Melian decides to speak again. And every time she speaks, she's right. It's just yeah, like a listen, running thing with to Melian. You. you better listen. And yeah. she says to Huron, she says, Hurin Thalion, Morgoth hath bewitched thee. For he that seeth through Morgoth's eyes, willing or unwilling, seeth all things crooked. Mm. Long was Turin thy son fostered in the halls of Menegroth, and shown love and honor as the son of the king. And it was not by the king's will, nor by mine, that he never came back to Doriath. And afterwards thy wife and and thy daughter were harbored here with honor and goodwill. And we sought by all means that we might to dissuade Morwen from the road to Nargothrond. And with the voice of Morgoth, thou dost now abrade thy friends. So it's like reading King James, but <laughs> she's basically saying what I just said: that even though he feels a certain way and believes a certain thing, that doesn't mean that's actually what was going on. And yeah. with this, Hurin, he he calms himself and he's like, "Oh, okay." Well, then, here is the necklace, and he gave it to Thingol, and I imagine this time it, it's, a, it's a lot more sincere. He actually mm-hmm. means it. He, he takes the necklace and he, he said, you know what? With this, I have nothing left. My fate is fulfilled, and I'm no longer a thrall. And I think he's saying, like, you're not going to keep me here um, mm-hmm. by saying, I'm no longer a thrall. And with that, he left Doriath, and he, he traveled westward until he came to and he, like his daughter, cast himself in. And in the Silmarillion it says, And so ended the mightiest of the warriors of mortal men. And so now everybody is dead. Is dead. Everybody. <laughs> Golly, man.
0: Everyone is, yeah, they're all gone. I mean, there's, there's no happy ending no for hope. any of them.
1: They, there's no joy. It's, it's just all ruin. So before we keep going, and there's just one section left, I know this is a long episode, but <laughs> Sam, I want to get your thoughts. Of all four of the deaths between Hurin, Morwen, Turin, and Nienor. we have three suicides and one, mm. I guess, I, w- I don't know how I would phrase it, like just weariness and sadness, heartbreak. Yeah. Life, give up. Which I- one, yeah. Which one was, I don't know, the best <laughs> in a way. Uh, the best, like, and with like the most hopeful, just, or like the no, the,
0: like, just like the the <laughs> least, I don't know, the least tragic. Mm, okay, uh, well, definitely not to her, and definitely not Neonor. I mean, she's carrying a child that was born to her by yeah. her brother. I mean, that is that's probably the I don't know, maybe that's the worst because again, you feel the shame, the regret of what's what you did is all those memories come flooding back in. I'd say maybe Morwin, as she's—I mean, her death is still tragic, but I mean, she didn't really actually know what happened to her kids. Thankfully, because who were in the steadfast was like, "I'm going to, I'm going to protect you from that. If I can do anything else, I'm going to protect you from that." So I'd say probably hers. I mean, it still sucks. She wandered yeah. the wilderness for two years just in hopes of finding either her kids or or mm-hmm. her husband, and finally does, and then it's like, okay, got nothing left. See ya. So, I I, I mean, still incredibly tragic, but that's probably the the best of any of them, in my opinion.
1: I I was going to say the same thing. I think that that Morwin's death was the least tragic, even though it was still incredibly tragic. And I I don't know. There's something to be said about she was the only death of the four that didn't take her own life. She didn't. She kind of still went out on her own terms in that she said, I'll go with the sun. She but just she didn't spent, directly, yeah. she didn't directly take action upon her own. So, yeah. I don't know. Just something I wanted to run by. Yeah. She's, she stopped holding on to life. Like, yes. she was
0: desperately holding on to life and then just kind of, like, let it go. You sure. know, it's, it's like an old person on their deathbed where they're just like, okay, it's time now. You know, I'm going to let it go. See, I'm going to stop fighting this. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <sighs> well... There's more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the dark, I, I literally more. wrote, but wait, there's more. Yeah, we're trying to sell you here on something, but... Uh, <laughs> man. So back on, like, Thingol's perspective now, we're on his uh, his perspective here for the story. He's got the Nalglamir in his possession, and he's also, if you remember, he's got the Silmaril that Baron gave him, um, or rather, that Bella gave the hand of Baron holding <laughs> the Silmaril to <laughs> Thingol. Yeah, yeah uh, exactly. But... <laughs> but but Thingol decides, Hey, this is a beautiful necklace. Like let's put the Silmaril inside this necklace. So he decided to commission the dwarves of Nagrod to put the Silmaril inside this necklace. And so as the dwarves are doing this, it's a long project. It's a hard project. I mean, the Silmaril, you remember that's a a beautiful gem. Like it can't really be tainted by anything. And it took a a long, long time. The
1: other two are still in Morgoth's crown. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And so it's a very prized possession. Um, and and so Thingol then took the necklace once it was finished from the dwarves and placed it around his neck. And then the dwarves were like, wait a minute, that's ours. Which doesn't really make sense because, you know, was like, hey, make this for me. But they look on it and they're like, this is just gorgeous. And we made that. So therefore, it is it is ours. And And, of course, they didn't actually come to an agreement on payment. And so, like... Thingol never actually said what he was going to pay them for doing that. And so they're like, hey, our payment is the necklace, by the way.
1: <laughs> yeah. So the dwarves had originally, they were the ones that made the now Glamyr for Fenrod Feligan. And so yeah. that's why they're they're laying claim to it. They're like, well, this isn't even Thingol's. We gave it to to Fenrod and he died, therefore... It shouldn't pass on to Thingle, who it was brought to by Hurin. It's it should be ours. So that's a, that's how they're trying to spin it and claim yeah. the rights of yeah. Malglomir.
0: But of course Thingle's like, Are you kidding me? He spoke back in the score and he said, How do ye of uncouth race, which is you know a very derogatory yeah. term, you know, he's he's definitely putting them down. How have ye of uncouth race dare to demand out of me? Elu Thingle, Lord of Beleriand, whose life began by the waters of Quivenin. Years uncounted, ere the fathers of the stunted people awoke. Fathers of the stunted people, like, you guys are just, you're runts. That's all you are. But that was not the smartest way to talk to a bunch of uh, lust-driven dwarves. And so these dwarves, (laughs) driven by their lust, combined with their rage... They laid their hands upon him and killed him. Like, I don't know where, like, the guard of Thingol is. I don't know if he's by himself thinking he's safe he's, or what. But... He's
1: down in the bottom, like, smithy that was built directly for these dwarves to work on the necklace. So he's down there in, in the Silmarillion. It said that he would go down there and watch them work often. So okay. I imagine he's down there completely by himself and just, like, fixated on this, this jewel. Gotcha. Gotcha.
0: So, yeah, they, they killed him. King Thingle, they they kill him. And you know, yeah. after the death of King Thingle, a heavy change came on Doriath. And poor Melian, of all people. <laughs> I mean, yes, it's a tragedy for Turin, for Hurin, for all that, but but Melian, like the only one who's like trying to tell people, use common sense, like stop doing all the things you're doing, is just realizing, okay, my, my husband's dead. And she sat beside the body of Thingol and and thought about their time and when they'd first met and And she knew that this parting was a forerunner to a greater parting. She knew that the end of Doriath was coming. You know, that that was going to be a natural response to this. So at that point, Melian would only speak to Meblong, you know, her one trusted elf. And she actually told him to send word to Beren and Luthien, who like kind of died, but then kind of came back to life. And so they're still around to send word about the Silmaril. Uh, that they'd had and then Tolkien says she Melian vanished out of Middle Earth and passed to the lands of the Valar beyond the Western Sea to muse upon her sorrows in the gardens of Lorien when she came this tale speaks of her no more so
1: now Melian is gone too along with Elu Thingol she just disappears though yeah i mean the way i kind of so she's a maya she's she's on par with yeah. sauron and Sauron and gandalf and so I, I if you remember at the end of the return of the king um it happens twice but with with the death of, or the destruction of the one ring the win like um sauron just kind of his he like vapors away yeah, kind of yeah. and then same thing when when Saruman is killed by grima how sure. Like the his vapor kind of looked towards the west and then it was blown east. Blown away, yeah. So I imagine she just kind of decided, okay, I'm done taking this shape and I'm gonna go back mm, to okay. becoming a Maya. So that's kind of what I imagine.
0: Okay. Gotcha.
1: And I know I didn't put this in the document, but she she went back to the guardians the gardens, excuse me, of Lorien, um, which is actually uh where Gandalf, or Oleren at the time, spent a lot of his years learning from, uh, what was her name? The, the Valar that tended it. Yeah. Uh, I so if you, re- if you remember, Gandalf learned pity from her in, the, in that area. Yeah. And so yeah, yeah. it seems like a pretty fitting place for Melian to want to hang out after yeah. everything she's been through in Valarian. Definitely.
0: Man, well, after that, obviously, Mablong was able to contact Baron, and Baron obtains the Silmaril after defeating the company of dwarves that had taken the Silmaril uh, that came to Erendil through Elwing, his wife, and the granddaughter of Baron and Luthien. And so thus, Middle-earth was saved from Morgoth and the War of Wrath uh, for a little while. I mean, it's, it's crazy how these things are completely interconnected with the story of Baron and Luthien. You know, we kind of left off there. We maybe should have gone in. To what actually happened afterwards with Baron and Luthien and how they had to, you know, do do what we just mentioned. But again, Tolkien, the way that he creates his stories and how they completely come full circle. There's Easter eggs here and there. Like, there's everything that's connected. Even like what you mentioned with like the feet of Morgoth bringing in that connection from Finrod Felagon. Like, I had no idea. Like, I've, I've read that story a couple times where they fought together, but I didn't ever make that connection. Like, there's just yeah. so many interconnected
1: pieces of his work. It's it's incredible. Yeah, it is. And just it blows my mind. Like, yeah, it's the Silmarillion, so it's the stories of the Silmarillion, right? But this one specific Silmarillion it you know, it went from Morgoth's crown to Baron's hand to Thingol to a necklace on Thingle to the dwarves to, you know, Baron and Luthian getting it back and then passing it on kind of as an heirloom down to their granddaughter. Yeah. Who marries, Um, Arendelle? Who, to make it even more full circle, is the son, grandson of of Huor. So he's Tuor's son, mm-hmm. and so that brings it even more full circle because that's you know, Turin's brothers. So I guess it'd be Turin's nephew, right? Yep. Yeah, and he's the one that sails west and is accepted into Valinor, and convinces the Valor to fight on their behalf and fight against Morgoth and the War of Wrath. It's just, it when you start making these connections, you're like, oh my gosh, what kind of mind can come up with this?
0: Yeah, completely full circle. So many connections. Um, it's just fun. It's fun to see. It, it really makes it, reading through, like multiple times, fun and engaging because you start making more and more connections like that. And, you know, it's like when you watch a Marvel movie for a second time you know you see the connections the easter eggs from that universe and you know that place is all over the place now with multiverse and uh time travel and all that but but with Tolkien's, it's way more organized and uh just the way that he worked and put things together and the way that christopher tolkien too was able to kind of yeah. be like okay okay dad i think this is what you're doing and, and put it together too it, it's it's amazing it's it's a miracle that we have all this all all these writings
1: and that it fits together the way it does it really is and if you think about it a couple of things Tolkien or JRR literally created an entire career for his son yeah and his son spent his entire adult life and career just going through trying to organize and make sense of his dad's rambling and this is before Microsoft Word and documents and super you know organized files on a computer right christopher is going through handwritten stuff from i don't know like 30 40 years worth of writing and trying to piece them together and some of them are changed and some of them don't make sense and there's contradictory things because tolkien couldn't remember what he wrote down 10 years ago christopher has to go through all of that to try to piece it together i mean tolkien jrr was creating a hit like he wanted to create a history for england you know like
0: Mm -hmm.
1: exactly what he did and Christopher had, you know, his entire adult life to try to piece it together and make it, you know, somewhat understandable for us lay people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And he made a, a great living doing that. And then, you know, their grandkids just sold the rights for millions of dollars and made a living that way. <sighs> <laughs> yeah. It's fine. That though. might be
1: even more depressing than this entire story.
0: Ooh, there's the tragedy right there. Is Amazon's <laughs> Ring of Power. <laughs> the true tragedy of middle earth yes i would agree wow no but honestly this has been such a fun read through uh kind of sad that we're at the end but also excited you know that we've gotten through an entire book uh children who are reading that together entire book of tolkien that is uh, again so sad but so so powerful you know there's a lot of lessons to be learned in here a lot of things that stood out to me and things that you brought up to that i would never have caught and so i thank you for that and uh, yeah, thank you to our listeners who've kept with us through this read through. Um, and hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Again, we'd love to hear your thoughts as you finish out the book, even if you were just listening to us and didn't actually
1: read. You know, We'd just love to hear how you're dealing with it.
0: How are you handling all this tragedy as well?
1: yeah, and i I just wanted to say, I looked back. I think the first chapter that we went through was released mid-December of last year. So this has been you know <laughs> six and a half seven month type of project for us. Wow. And so, Sam, I wanted to say thank you to you for this undertaking. You know, this is mm. quite the commitment to go through this entire book. And so I wanted to yeah. say thank you to you for sticking with me because I know this was kind of my baby, the one that I really wanted to go through. And so, Thank you to you and, again, to our listeners that have found us, that have stick- stuck with us. Like We, we appreciate all of you. Um, and like Sam said, we really want to hear, like what, what are your thoughts on this? It's a tragic story, and we want to know. Um, and then I did want to just, before Sam closes us out here, say next week we'll have a somewhat fun episode just kind of summarizing certain things about the story. And I, just, I have a few ideas. Be a more much more lighthearted episode and just kind of a fun culmination of this incredible story. Yeah,
0: I love it. Can't wait for it, and I'm I'm super grateful. I'm super thankful that we actually got to go through this and that you made the suggestion because again, it was a a corner of Middle Earth that I was not so familiar with, so it was fun to get to go through there and just glean what we did. So, well, again, thank you guys for listening. At this point, you already know. Gondor is calling for aid. We're breaking into the halls of Mediceld and we're shouting, Gondor calls for aid. Will you, Rohan, answer? So if you enjoyed the podcast, please light a beacon of your own by sharing it with fellow friends and fans. Also, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a review, not only on the podcast, but on the new YouTube channel that Seth has created as well. Go check out that video on Faramir. It's really, really awesome if you haven't had that opportunity to do so yet. But again, like we mentioned, share your Tolkien story with us. We want to share it here on the podcast. and be a fellowship together you can email us at weckpodcast at gmail.com but like seth said what to expect from next episode we're going to do a kind of a summary of children of purin and he's got some fun ideas that we're going to go through i go through a little bit of a prophecy that tolkien kind of threw out there and so it's going to be really exciting i i hope you look forward to that in the same way that we do but until then we thank you for joining us for some well-earned comforts and we bid you a very fun farewell